We are officially halfway through the fantasy regular season. Hopefully your teams are doing well and preparing for the playoffs. Your DFS or your Rainmaker season is profitable. Or at the least, you're just enjoying this journey. Today, I'm going to dive into my $50,000 bet with poker legend Dan Zach, give some updates on the status and where we each have leverage before previewing the Thursday night football game and this week's main slate. Lots to discuss. Let's get to it right now. Welcome back to the DraftKings Football Show, hosted in partnership with our friends at DraftKings. I am your host, Justin Herzig, and we are back to talk some football. Oh, wait. Oh, so, for starters, to catch everyone up to speed and what I was talking about in the intro, uh, during the offseason, I made a tweet about the idea of side bets in best ball. I'd seen how popular these had really become with head to head matches and poker. Uh, I thought really the best ball industry could use some of that excitement. I'm always interested in kind of getting some more action down on something that I think I have an edge on. So I tweeted about that idea. If anyone would be interested or had ideas on a good structure, kind of just conversational discussion point, and then, hey, who knows, maybe it would turn into something. And turns out Dan Zach, the 2022 World Series Poker Player of the Year, he saw the tweet, similar like the idea. Uh, I was familiar with who he was from the poker world, but had never talked with him or anything, but he reached out. We got to talking a few days later. We have locked in a $50,000 side bet on the best ball mania. You can find more details on my Twitter, but for the gist of it is the winnings, the bet, it's divided into a third for the regular season advance rate and two thirds for total winnings. Nice thing about these payouts and they kind of mirror the way that we're currently sweating best ball. So, what I can do kind of on this, you know, on this pod today and discuss, focus on those advance rates in season success from a sweating aspect. We can then later on in the year focus on kind of advancing as many teams as possible for the playoffs and hopefully getting at least one bullet in the week 17 finals. And uh, yeah, but now that we're through week seven, halfway through the fantasy regular season, Let's give an update on how things are going and dive in. So first off, Dan Zach has a 17.3% advance rate and his highest regular season team is in just over 18,000th place. Uh, for me, I've got a 27.9% advance rate. My highest team is an 851st with six in the top 10,000. So no question, I'm definitely in a solid place at this time, but I will say injuries are starting to catch up to me, and he's got some of his best and highest home players back from injuries, such as Jonathan Taylor with those four games to begin with, Saquon Barkley missing those games as well. Uh, me, I'm heavily on Justin Jefferson over the field, uh, Devin Achan. So, like, that's where, hey, I'm still suffering. He's kind of come back. So there's definitely an open door, open window, open opportunity. We're only halfway through. Lots can still happen. Uh, but that's kind of how I'm currently sweating this bet and understanding those differences in ownership on the players and which ones I should be most excited about, which ones I'm cheering for, which ones I should be most concerned about, the ones that I'm fading that he's higher on. And it kind of gives a peek into our different drafting strategies as well. What pockets of the draft did we target various players? Um, so let, let's go into that. And I, you know, put up some chart, pulled, pulled some charts here to really show where I, like, where I have the most leverage, where he does, and so forth. So starting off at quarterback, 
where I have the most leverage is Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts, and Josh Allen. Um, Lamar, I drafted 15%, him 2%. Jalen, me 14, him 4. Josh Allen, me 11, him 2. So you can see substantial edge there around 13, 10, and 9% as a delta. Um, he just was very clear, didn't feel that elite QB was worth it in this year. A lot of where I was drafting elite QB, he was taking running back. So when we get to running back, you'll see, as I mentioned, like he's very high on very high on Saquon Barkley, who was drafted in the same area of those QBs. Same with Jonathan Taylor, Tony Pollard. So that's definitely uh, a strong leverage spot for both of us, depending on what happens. Um, I think overall, it's gone pretty well for me in that area because those QBs, like the elite QBs have worked out. Now, a lot of why elite QB has worked out is because the wide receivers in that late second, early third have done very poorly. Thankfully for Dan, he mostly avoided those landmines because he was going for the running backs. Now the question is, are those running backs better plays? Are they going to pan out? Obviously, there's been injury issues. But Jonathan Taylor, we could foresee a little because there was, that was more contract and such. But the Saquon was an unfortunate injury for him. Um, and then, like, yeah, Tony Pollard, I'll get into not an injury, but just underperforming based off his expectation and his opportunity. On the other side of him, the QBs that he was higher on than me. Uh, the highest is Deshaun Watson, him 14, my 3%. Trevor Lawrence is 13, my 4%. And Aaron Rodgers is 13, my 5%. Uh, looks like, I mean, he kind of just targeted that area of the draft where maybe wide receivers started to fall off at the end. And because he was going heavy running backs early on, it wasn't as important for him to go with the running backs in those areas. So that's where he went with QBs. Uh, Deshaun Watson, Aaron Rodgers, you know, injury issues there hurting him. Trevor Lawrence is probably a fine pick, has some ups and downs, no big deal there. Um, but uh, yeah, so I don't know, no, no real actionable takeaway from that one. But, you know, I think I'm looking good just from an injury variance there. And then Anthony Richardson is a notable one. We were both over the field on that. I was a little over 9%. He was at 15%. Um, so hurts him a bit more there, but he had a couple strong weeks from him early on. Yeah. But overall that's, that's still going to hurt. Um, yeah. So big takeaway for the QB side of things is the elite. I, you know, I, th I do think that especially, um, in that format, this is the best ball mania grabbing an elite guy in those rounds was a strong, was a solid play, gave you strong upside, gave you uh, decent stacks. If you were able to kind of make those work. For me, like Lamar and Mark Andrews was a very common stack that I was going for. Later on, you'll see Josh Allen with Gabe Davis and Dawson Knox and some Dalton Kincaid. Hertz was definitely more difficult to stack, but I did as well with the Dallas Scott, which we'll touch on later on as well. Uh, for him, it wasn't as important. Okay, moving on to running backs. Now, <laughs> I have mixed thoughts on these. I'll get into them, but... Uh, so my highest own running backs and from where I have leverage against him. First one is Samaj P. Ryan, my 21% to his 1%. My Ty Chandler, 19% to his 1%. My Kenneth Gainwell, my 17% to his 1%. My AJ Dillon, my 22% to his 7%. My Tyler Adjir, 15% to his 1%. Very, very clear that he just was not taking these late running backs. And uh, obviously these have not worked out yet. Uh, some of them do not look that great. Ty Chandler does not look great. Samaje Piran does not look great. Uh, but like, 
I think from a process wise, I'm not upset with it because this is also the things that got me onto Raheem Mostert, which I've got around, I think it's 11%. Devin Achan, uh, I've got 9%. That he similarly is still in that kind of 1% range, very, very low on those guys. So the ones that I went the heaviest on have not worked out. Tyler Algier actually, I think is definitely a strong one. AJ Dillon, you're going you're gonna to be a little surprised here, but... In that round, A.J. Dillon is currently the second best pick available if you look at where he's being drafted. It feels ridiculous and so ugly, but everyone being drafted in that round of A.J. Dillon's um, looks very bad. So even though A.J. Dillon is only a tiny, 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 tiny bit better than the others, um, and probably some of that, well, yeah, some of it's because Aaron Jones missed, but also A.J. Dillon had a pretty strong game when Aaron Jones was back, so who knows. Um, but uh, I think this is more of just a macro of I'm willing to make bets on these running backs that have, hey, when they hit, they hit hard, like Raheem Mostert has, like Devin H. Hand did. Um, and if Bijan Robinson were to go down, Tyler Algier probably hits hard. Um, if DeAndre Swift goes down, maybe Kenneth Gainwell probably hits pretty hard. We saw early on he was looking pretty good. Um, so that's where I think for me, from a risk-reward profile, I'm willing to take we can understand his strategy more with where you see his leverage is. So his highest leverage is Jonathan Taylor, his 23% to my 6%. James Conner, his 15 to my 1%. Saquon Barkley, his 23 to my 10. Tony Pollard, his 19 to my 6. Nick Chubb, his 14 to my 4. So for the most part of the James Conner, those are four early, early drafted running backs, particularly in the second and third rounds. And because he went so heavy on running backs early, he didn't feel the need to be going after those P. Ryan Chandler Gainwells or the Mosterts or the A-Champs. And I mean, obviously he struggled from a little of an injury aspect. Now, again, running backs get injured a lot. So there's some, A, unlucky, but some also, yes, that is more likely to happen in that area. And that's why taking chances on these deeper, later ones does make sense. Uh, but... Jonathan Taylor, him 23 to my 6%. Now Jonathan Taylor coming back. I still believe, and I've gone back and forth with ETR guys on this, and it's funny if you listen to some of the pods, you can kind of hear like our internal discourse that's happened. I still believe that Jonathan Taylor is not going to turn into a workhorse. I don't believe Shane Sykin um, wants that, has ever done that in the past with his Chargers running backs or the Eagles. But I do think it is an extremely valuable backfield uh, for the Colts. And I think Jonathan Taylor probably eventually gets into about a 60-40, maybe 65-35 split with Zach Moss. If that's the case, like he's going to have some spike weeks. It's just a very, very valuable backfield. I believe all but two weeks they've had a top 10 um, running back in PPR. And if Zach Moss were to go down, holy crap, Jonathan Taylor could legit, you know, if they're willing to make him the workhorse, he could turn into a top three running back. So I'm definitely a little concerned. I'm hoping that Hey, the teams where he does have Jonathan Taylor, they're just so far back. They're too buried that it's going to be too difficult to really catch up. Maybe, hopefully, I don't know. Um, but I definitely have some concern there. Barkley, I was over the field at 10%, but he was even higher at 23%. Um, I think Barkley is a very strong, hey, projectable, strong projections going forward. But I don't think he has that kind of break the slate, break the running back position as much as someone like Jonathan Taylor because of the team he is on. And then Tony Pollard, uh, where he's at 19 to my six. Uh, for me with Tony Pollard, early on in the drafting, I just expected that they were going to bring in another back. All the verbiage that we heard out of Dallas in past years is that Tony Pollard was not someone who they wanted 
and could really be a workhorse. There were even quotes around that Tony Pollard was like a, um, that you wanted to pair Tony Pollard with a more reliable car. He was the sports car, but you needed that sedan in the garage as well. And so when he was being drafted in the, I'd say, late second, um, and then you know kept moving up, I still had this expectation they were going to bring someone like Zeke back or sign one of these other running backs, and that would have hurt Tony Pollard. Now, though it, it ended up not, so he just kept rising, and I was like, I'm not going to chase it into the beginning of the second round when I was mostly fading it in the mid and late second. Um, but also, like, I did think that there was some concern of a back coming off of an injury, um, a back that we've seen in the past, like, they haven't wanted to use as a workhorse. And obviously, you've got Kellen Moore leaving. you got McCarthy as the new play caller. I put out a tweet the other day about how much more often they're just running Pollard straight into the line rather than getting him out in space. Uh, so I feel like I've been a little bearish on Tony Pollard this year, both in drafting season and as the season has gone. Um, maybe I've gotten lucky because his expected points, if you look at that metric, is very strong. He just hasn't been able to convert. But I also believe that we're just seeing a Tony Pollard either age 26, there's decline. Coming off the injury, there could be decline. It could be a schematic thing, the way that they're using him, not getting him in space as much. If you look at the eye test, he just doesn't seem to have that same burst that he used to. It's just not going that great. And this one could blow up my face. Pollard still is on the Cowboys. He still has an amazing role from a uh, overall usage standpoint and could have a huge second half. But from where it is right now, I feel pretty vindicated from a halfway through season. All right, two other notable ones as well. So Devin A. Chan, um, I'm at 9%. He's only at 1%. Reasoning I've talked about, you know, I referenced why he's at one. He just kind of faded those guys. Um, for me, like that was a very strong start of the season. Hopefully he's back pretty soon when he does, you know, missing the last two weeks or so has definitely hurt me. And hopefully he can come back soon and strengthen the team. Another similar one, Jerome Ford. I'm at 9%. He's at 1%. Same idea. Jerome Ford is in a great role. Obviously, I think like this injury combined with Kareem Hunt kind of looking decent. At least they trust him. We don't expect Jerome Ford to ever have the Nick Chubb role, but I still think, especially as a last rounder, he's a great addition, great value to teams when he can hopefully come back from this low high ankle sprain, whatever we want to call it. Hopefully he comes back healthy soon. Okay, moving on to wide receiver. My guys that I'm highest on here compared to him, Rashad Bateman, my 20 to his five. Devontae Adams, my 18 to his three. Jalen Waddle, my 13 to his one. Amon Ra, my 14 to his three. Jaden Reed, my 17 to his seven, and so forth. Uh, I'll, I'll throw in two other rookies too. My Zay Flowers is 15 to his five, and my Jordan Addison is 18 to his nine. What I think here, so start off with the Devontae, the Waddle, the Amon Ra. You can tell, hey, these are the areas that he was going heavy on the running backs. I personally, I think that Devontae, I literally like Amon Ra. I mean, Waddle, I was only at 12% from his one, but like, and that was a little later on, but like specifically Devontae and Amon Ra at the end of the one, at the end of the first round, beginning of the second, that one, two turn, I was heavily double clicking the, um, you know, back to back, back to back wide receivers. He was probably often going Nick Chubb there with his 14%. Um, Yes, his was an injury aspect. Devontae has underperformed a bit. He's obviously had a big game. 
I'm optimistic that when Jimmy Garoppolo comes back, Devontae is going to really prove out. Uh, Jalen Waddle has been struggling with injuries. Tyreek Hill now potentially injured. injured. Jalen Waddle is still a guy that I want to have. Um, Amon Ra's looked good. No concerns there other than, you know, what, I think he missed one game because of injury or something. Um, but those are the guys where I have leverage. I'm very happy to have that kind of leverage um, going forward. For him, his biggest wide receiver leverage is Odell Beckham, my two to his 19. Rashid Shaheed, my four to his 17. Isaiah Hodgins, my seven to his 19. Tyler Boyd, my seven to his 17. Looks like you can see, I mean, looks pretty strong that, hey, he was drafting a lot of wide receivers when you get into those double-digit rounds where I was looking for some RB RB value, where I was often having six wide receivers by the end of the eighth or ninth round, so not having to go heavy on wide receivers in this area. He um, he went more with the early running backs, and so he needed to then be attacking, especially in these kind of early double-digit rounds where you saw Odell Beckham and so forth. Isaiah Hodgins probably like a 13th, 12th, 13th round or so. Um, and so that's, again, just uh, how are you attacking the drafts? I was attacking wide receivers in the more elite area where he was going running backs. Two notable players, Adam Thielen. I have 4, 4%. He has 12%. Hey, that one's obviously worked out amazing for him. But again, just from a, I don't, I doubt that he had any strong take on Adam Thielen, but more of just that pocket of the draft is where he was drafting those other wide receivers and where he also mixed in more Adam Thielen. And then one other notable one, my Justin Jefferson, 14% to his 7%. This one, I, you know, thought I was getting, thought early on I was lucky that I was getting a a good amount of number one picks. I also had a decent amount of times where at number two, Justin Jefferson fell to me where someone grabbed Jamar Chase or Christian McCaffrey at number one. And that was, you know, hey, looking very good early on. Now with the injuries, the advance rate continues to drop for Justin Jefferson. Reports are positive that he should be able to return as soon as his stint from IR ends. So only missing four weeks and being very high on Jordan Addis and myself, who really uh, or, you know, benef- benefited the past week from this. Hopefully I can survive it and maybe I get a, a bit of a lower advanced rate player, Justin Jefferson, in the playoffs, um, but it definitely still hurts. I was all- also very off of TJ Hawkinson and he's been a major beneficiary of this Justin Jefferson injury too. Okay, now going to tight ends. My highest owned tight ends where I have leverage against him, so I'm Hayden Hurst, 25% to his 9. Dawson Knox, 26 to his 15%. Pat Fryermuth, my 15 to his 7. Dallas Goddard and Mark Andrews, both 11 for me and both 5 for him. So starting off with Hayden Hurst and Dawson Knox, I went a lot of three tight end structures, especially because I was able to go with two QB for the most part. When I had those three tight end structures, it felt like in round 7 or 8, 17 or 18, I was grabbing either Hayden Hurst and Dawson Knox. I mean, what? probably 51% of 51% of the time or so. Um, Dawson Knox, I still feel like it was a really solid pick. I just wanted to have, you know, attached to that Buffalo offense. I expected that Dalton Kincaid was not going to eat into Dawson Knox's role, that they were both going to be playing, and that if anything, Kincaid would play more of a slot role and that Dawson Knox would be the true tight end here. And I think that kind of played out. Now, gotten unlucky with how, um, I don't know, a little, a little unlucky, a little as well, just maybe bad process that, like, Dawson Knox just isn't that good. So, yes, he's had some drops, um, had a touchdown called back, and now the unlucky part was definitely having this injury. 
Um, we'll, we'll see how it plays out, obviously. But the good thing is I was a little over the field on the elite, elite tight ends. So like Mark Andrews, not elite, elite but like the higher end. So Dallas Goddard, Mark Andrews, while I didn't really go after like this elite tight end strategy, because I was heavy on Lamar, because I was heavy on Jalen Hurts, I was often grabbing those guys as stack partners. And so I think that's worked out pretty well for me um, and compared to his usage, his ownership. Now, on the other side, his highest one, so Dalton Schultz at his 29% to my 11, Tyler Conklin, his 19 to my 7, Greg Dulcich, his 15 to my 3, Cole Komet, his 13 to my 4, and Dalton Kincaid, his 18 to my 9. Dalton Schultz has had an amazing run out for him the last few weeks, a touchdown in the past three games. Um, and so that's had to have very much helped him at the tight end position. Conklin and Dulcich not looking too great. Komet, it's been pretty strong. Uh, and then Kincaid, him at 18% is going to be probably very nice going forward, given the role that we expect Dalton Kincaid to play as he's a rookie. He continues to evolve, grow into the larger role, but also Dawson Knox being out. Um, major takeaway here for me is just these more elite tight ends. We expect that to help me as well in the playoffs from a spike week standpoint. Um, and in general, like yeah, last week was national tight end day that we had the podcast. We talked a lot about it and tight ends really had a big week. And I think that probably hurt him from an advance rate standpoint because he was mostly off of those. Okay. That's most of I also asked Twitter for any questions the, that were on this bet. So I did get one question. So I'll take that one at John Ditcher asked, I guess my biggest question is how are you feeling right now about the bet? And do you wish you bet more or less or happy with how it worked out? Right, good question. I'd say I'm feeling pretty good about how things are looking right now. Going into each season, my goal for these type of contests are to one bill for the championship well, two, maintaining about a 25% advance rate. So sitting at 28% for this bet, I'm happy with that. I feel like I still built for that week 17. I'm delightedly surprised with having 16 in the top 10,000, given that really wasn't any focus of mine besides like drafting well-constructed teams with good players. And, you know, on average with 150 entries, you expect to have only around two teams in the top 10,000. So very happy there with currently having six. And if you compare that to... Dan, he's got, I think, as I said, his highest one was around 18,000. And a lot of that's because he doesn't have the Mostert or the HN. Um, and I hadn't looked, but I would guess he probably doesn't have too much of Puka or Kieran or Kyron either. Uh, Kyron, because he wasn't drafting many running backs that late. And Puka, just because no one has that much Puka, but also he was often going tight ends in the last round. So as for, do I wish I bet more or less? I mean, the obvious answer is always like when you're looking good, you want more action. And of course, but overall, I think $50,000 is a pretty good number. It's got to be the largest side bet in basketball history and more than enough to really create an exciting sweat and bet to monitor for the community. So I ended up doing another 20,000 in other side bets with the same bet structure that helps me get more action with a little bit of diversification as well. So Overall, I feel pretty good about it. Obviously, we're only halfway through the season. A ton of things can happen. I am nowhere near a lock to win. And even if I do win the advanced rate side of things, there's still, hey, all you really need to do is get one team to week 17 and have a decent score, and uh, you can clean up with this bet. Okay. I'll continue to provide weekly updates on Twitter uh, about how all my best ball stuff is going, and maybe I can get one more deep dive or so when we get closer or when teams advance on this podcast. 
let's jump into the Thursday night game before we then preview the main slate. So starting off tonight's game at Tampa at Buffalo Bills. Buffalo's an eight and a half point home favorite coming off losses in two of the last three games, including that embarrassing loss to the Patriots last week. Expecting the Bills to switch things up a bit now that Dawson Knox is out. Uh, Dalton Kincaid is the most obvious beneficiary of Knox being out, but I think we're also going to see a bit more uh, 11 formation and the usage of Khalil Shakir. So if we look at last week's stats, uh, Khalil Shakir hadn't run routes on more than 18% of Josh Allen's dropbacks this year, but last week that more than doubled up to 43%, 18 up to 43. I expect him to get the biggest bump of any of the wide receivers. And then Gabe Davis, also probably likely to benefit. He ran his highest route since week one last week at 93%. And just, uh, you know, maybe a couple more targets or maybe a few more where it's like, hey, let's open the field and uh, with that 11 formation. All right. On the ground, with Damian Harris being out with the injury, the backfield condensed a bit into that two-headed monster as Ty Johnson last week only saw 2% of the snaps. So it really was just James Cook and Latavius Murray. We can expect maybe a 60-40 split between James Cook and Latavius Murray with Latavius getting the majority of the pass blocking work. So if you purely just look at snaps, that might be a little misleading because they're you know bringing him in when it's not actually like a touch or let alone a high-value touch. The Bucks' run defense is pretty strong, so I'm not expecting a great game from either of these guys. Um, when I'm thinking about targeting, I'm really focusing more on the passing game. On the Tampa side, Rashad White continues to get the majority of the work, but he really hasn't been able to do anything with that volume. Buffalo's defense is not as strong as it's been in the past. Uh, we've seen teams really run all over them, including what Achan went eight for 101 and two TDs. ETN went for 136 yards and two TDs. Barkley, 93 yards. So I expect the Bucs to try and establish the run early and often, keep the ball out of Josh Allen's hands. We've seen in recent weeks as well, they are running at a ridiculously high clip on first town, even though it is just so, so often not successful. Uh, so the question is going to be, will it be successful? Because I think it's very clear they're going to continue to run. That's uh, been the MO uh, despite the success. So now maybe they can get some success on the ground. It'll actually work. Um, I'm, I don't know. I'm not optimistic. For the passing game, Mike Evans has shown that you know, consistent, solid, high upside of rapport with Baker Mayfield. Um, but Chris Godwin's also been sneaky consistent with 19, 14, and 13 PPR points the last three weeks. Trey Palmer has really secured that wide receiver three role, but it's, you know, it's working primarily as a low-volume, deep threat. So not really excited from the fantasy space. The tight end, Kate Otten, I don't know. Consider him a dart throw if you wanted and hopes that that touchdown, but he's only had one end zone target on the season. So I'd probably be looking elsewhere and fading him. For showdown, actually building lineups on DraftKings, uh, I'm lock buttoning Khalil Shakir at 3,200, only projected to be about 10% owned. I think the field is going to take the savings and go over to Deontay Hardy, which I think is a bit of a trap. His routes actually decreased last week. I don't think he fits in from a scheme standpoint or benefits from Dawson Knox being out. So I like the little Shakira, 3,200. Pair him probably with Josh Allen and see what you can build on that side of things. For the Bucs, I think Mike Evans is probably one of the most interesting ones because he's only, I think it's $1,400 off the top of my head, less than Stephon Diggs. It's pretty close. And Stephon Diggs from a projection just seems to be a much better play, higher volume. Uh, more projectable volume, 
team higher point total and everything. But I think with Mike Evans, it's one of those where his median outcome just doesn't highlight that upside potential that we've seen with Baker. So multi-touchdown game, deep throws, deep touchdowns. And that's where I'd say, like, hey, if you're trying to get a little unique going off digs, moving on to Evans, I think that's a strong play. And you can build some pretty balanced four versus two or three V teams from there. Hopefully it's a fun game. We haven't, you know, haven't been too many fun Thursday night games with the short weeks. But, hey, Buffalo-Tampa, I could see it being a decent fun game. Okay, looking ahead to this week's main slate, zero teams are on by, which means that we're mostly – you know, most likely, we're going to be able to find some strong value from the field, I mean, some, some strong value that the field will probably kind of, you know, congregate or circle around. Uh, just because, hey, more games, more opportunities for maybe an injury, more opportunities for us to find some value somewhere. Um, and usually just happens when we have these larger slates. So at each position where I think there's going to be the most ownership, uh, QBs just really spread out this early. Don't really see a big... Um, anyone really separating from the field at running back. I think it's Brees Hall. So he's going against the giants. Brees' snap share has been steadily increasing. He hit his highest count of 60% of the snaps last week, coming off the bye, going against a giants defense that gives up the eighth most points to opposing running backs. He also only costs 5,900. That feels about a thousand dollars too low. He's likely in my mind to be the highest owned running back on this slate barring last minute injuries. And I think it's deservedly so at wide receiver. Kendrick Bourne, risen the number one target for Mac Jones. He got 10 and seven targets the last two weeks. And Mac Jones is throwing him catchable balls. 16 of those 17 were catchable balls. He's only $4,700. And in the game against Miami where they'll need to be throwing, I think he's lining up to really be a strong play. And at tight end, free square alert. We can expect Trey McBride to be really chalky. Uh, Zach Ertz is out of the way. Cardinals throw their tight ends more than just about any team. And McBride, solid prospect. We were pretty excited about him. He's actually got athleticism, can make some big plays. And most importantly, he's only $2,800. He is the free square at tight end for DraftKings this week. Okay, matchups that I like. Uh, Let's go with two different games. So first one, Miami and the onslaught. I mean, it is... When you're, you know, this Miami team, we know what their upside is. And then when you look at kind of the slate, the pricing, the ownership projections, it's kind of just this feels like a week that, especially in smaller tournaments, you can just play this Miami onslaught and not have it be crazy chalky. So they're coming off the uh, the loss last week, getting a Patriots team whose defense has been getting completely trampled. And we've got these injury kind of question marks. So Tyreek. There's, you know, talk that he might be out for an extended period of time. Maybe that was just actually hogwash and he's actually back this week. I'm not sure. But if there's no Tyreek, tighter target tree, maybe a breakout game for Waddle, maybe a little more usage on the ground. If we do get Tyreek, maybe you can now get him at lower exposure because of the injury. I think there's opportunities. And then my favorite play is Mostert. He's got the questionable tag right now. So that gets people off of him. Didn't practice in Wednesday, even though I don't think he's practiced in Wednesday like all year. It seems like this has been a veteran rest day more than ever this year. Um, but most importantly, he's got a 7,700 price point, and the Opto Bros, like, that's not actually great from a price per dollar when you can consider the other options out there. So I think he's, I, think, I don't think these guys are going to be highly owned, and you've got tremendous upside going against Patriots. We've seen them just get demolished. Um, and again, maybe this is just narrative street, but. 
as bad as Miami kind of, uh, you know, not as bad as they look. They actually didn't look bad against Philadelphia. But as bad as that loss maybe feels, could very much expect Mike Medano and them to just be like, hey, pedal to the metal, let's not let up. If no Tyreek, Tua, Waddle, Mostert, playing all three in small tourneys, I really like it. All right, one more game. Rams at Cowboys, up in pace. Cooper Cup here is at $9,000. Puka is at $7,900. And both are projected to be two of the lowest owned players on the slate. Now, yes, you are going against Dallas. It's a very good defense. It also is an injured defense. It doesn't have some of their starts. I think it's what? No, no Leighton Van Der Esch, No... Trayvon Diggs, I think off the top of my head. Um, and so we now have the Rams that Cooper Cup and Puka, who combined are averaging, I think it's 70% of Stafford's targets in the three weeks that they've played together. We know that they can go off. And again, they're projected to be owned 6% and 3% respectively. And Stafford at less than 1%. The way that I kind of think about this is like, I, I love getting guys with insane upside at low ownership, obviously. Now, why is that? Because they're probably more expensive than what you would want, especially on a slate that you have so many other options that people are going to find the values. But if each of these were $1,000 cheaper, they'd be very popular and we'd be very excited to play them. But because they cost a little too much, we're going to get off of them. And cash completely understand that. Don't play them. But in tournaments where we're looking for upside, play them both. Play one of them within a stack. And Find out how you can make up for that $1,000 that you're maybe overpaying elsewhere. You know, take that play, find a way to make it work. You can even use Gallup on the other side of things. Gallup is a decently projected play at only 3,400. So that's a cheap bring back on the Dallas side. But I really like this. And I think like, I would not be shocked if we see a Stafford double or a Stafford single ends up at the top of tournaments this week, just because it's going to be so low owned. And the other side of things is, Stafford himself is pretty expensive, and I do think it's harder for Stafford to really surpass his value substantially. So I think it's very in play, and maybe this is what I'm actually leaning, is playing as a one-off or a mini stack with Cooper Cup and Gallup or Puka and Gallup, um, but doing that kind of more one-off because now you're still getting access to those big upsides that we've seen. We haven't really seen a game where they both you know, have gone off together. Not to say it can't happen. It definitely can um, but maybe it's, Hey, you don't want to overpay for the Stafford, which I get given his, you know, upside capped, but still playing Cooper Cup or still playing Puka, I think is a great, great tournament play. Okay. That is all for today. We ran four minutes over the 30 minute mark. My apologies, but we had a lot to cover today. Hopefully you all enjoyed it. Best of luck in your showdown and your rainmakers and anything that you were playing tonight on DraftKings or this weekend. I haven't posted any contests yet. I'm going to go post some head-to-heads right now. If you want to go jump in one, go ahead, take any. Let's have some fun and play. And uh, have a good weekend. Best of luck to everyone. I'll see you all Sunday night, Monday for the recap. Later.